Hi friends, welcome to another episode of Care Package to Japan. I am your host, Evangeline. Now let's get started with today's episode. Today I have my very good friend. His name is Grant, and we will be chatting about many things his love for Japan, his love for his family, his love for his wife. So, Grant, thank you so much for joining me today on the show. No problem. Glad to be here. How's your day going, Grant? Things are good. Yeah, we're now back just for、uh, one month into our six month home assignment from Tokyo, living in Boston right now.、Um, and yeah, it's been good adjustments、uh, back to life in America after five years、um, being in Japan.、So. I mean, we've been there for 12 years altogether, but since our last time we've been in America, it's been yeah, five years ago. Wow, time really flies. Yeah, before, before we dive deeper into who you are, what you do, do you want to just give a brief intro、uh, for the audience <laughs> to who Grant is? What do you enjoy doing? What are you doing right now? Are you in a ministry? Are you not in a ministry? Are you a dad? Are you not a dad? <laughs> yeah, so、uh, my name is Grant Buckholtz, and my wife, Miho, and I lead a church plant that we started seven years ago called Tokyo Life Church. We are missionaries with the Evangelical Covenant Church, and we've been there for now 12 years. My wife、uh, grew up in Yokohama, and so. Um, I grew up actually in Des Moines, Iowa, and then、uh, studied and lived all over different places. We actually met in France. That's a whole other story that maybe we'll get to later.、Um, and I yeah, love、uh, sports, I love reading, I love traveling, and、um, I love running marathons. So that's a little bit about who I am. <laughs> and、uh, we have two daughters, Allie and Zoe, who are in fifth grade and third grade. And、um, yeah, we're just now back in America in the Boston area for six months during our home assignment of visiting supporters and speaking at churches. Yeah, can you just explain a little bit、um, for the listener who might not be as familiar with the missions world? Like, what is home, home assignment? What does that even mean? Yeah, so.、Uh, Even Christians may not understand what it is. So it's funny that we'll have people say, like, oh, enjoy your sabbatical or enjoy, like,、uh, it's not a sabbatical necessarily in the sense of, so every four or five years we'll be, come back. Some people, it'll be a year. Some for us,、um, especially because of our work, it's hard to be gone for a year. So six months、um, is what we're able to do. And it's a time for us to, to meet with people that financially support us, to speak at churches that are partnering with us, to inspire people about missions,、um, to share and reconnect.、Um, and so there's a portion of it that's for rest,、um, but for us, it's a lot of traveling and meeting people. But we love doing that. And so preaching at churches or speaking about missions or meeting old friends, like that's not hard work for us. We, we really love that. And so. Um, this time is unique too that both my wife and I are starting our Doctor of Ministry programs. And so it'll be some po- portion of our time too spent studying and working on、um, our work related to growing and learning about missions, church planning movements. And for me,、um, I love to study about preaching. So those will be some of the things、uh, that happen during our home assignment. For our girls, it's been A huge adjustment. They've been only in Japanese school. And although they understand and can speak English and can read、um, different levels,、uh, 
this is the first time for our youngest daughter Zoe to be in an American school, and so that's been a huge uh, change. So for these next three months until summer break, she'll be in third grade at a public school here, um, which is daunting, but at the same time, it's a really great opportunity for her to improve her English, to make friends, to to grow, and so um, yeah, it's been. Uh, stretching for her, she's tired every day from having to think and write and speak in English. But uh, they're thriving. Of it's been really neat. Of there's a community of kids and families in the area that they've become friends with, and so that's made it uh, a huge blessing. Rather than oh, they're away from their friends, they're away from what they know and what they love, um, and a huge thing that obviously schools here are very different from Japan, and so it's funny that. There's another kid in、uh, the school that's also a missionary kid from Japan, and when his first week after, he tells his mom, "American schools are weird," <laughs> and so <laughs> of, they're used to uniforms where now there's no dress code. They're、uh, at their school every Friday. They have Domino's pizza, and so just the lunches rather than bentos. It's a very different.、Uh, Food of fish sticks and cheese quesadillas is like this is not Japanese lunch, so、um, but they're adapting well. Are there things that you already miss from Japan? I mean, we always miss Japanese food, and so here, I mean, we're in Boston, so there's we're thankful there's a huge、uh, Asian grocery store where we're able to get things.、Um, but the prices of imported Japanese things here are sometimes two or three times more expensive. It's like. Certain things that we can't get in in Japan, it's much cheaper here. So, enjoying fruits and enjoying cheese and all sorts of things like that that are far more expensive in Japan than here. But when we need to get、um, udon or umeboshi, the pickled plums, or、uh, just different、uh, foods, it's it's nice that we're able to have access to things.、Um, but So food is definitely one of the things, and then obviously just our friends and and our church that、um, we definitely miss. And so it's as as missionaries and especially as our kids are kind of third culture kids, where it's they're not fully American, they're not fully Japanese. They're this in between of where I think they identify more. Obviously, as Japanese in Japan,、um, there's always that sense of. This is home, but it's not quite home, and so there's always that longing of、uh, Japan is really where our heart is at. And so,、um, yeah, it's but it's good to to reconnect、um, as we come back here and enjoy certain things that we normally don't get to do or try、um, or eat. And so、um, that's been、uh, exciting for for the girls. Yeah. So I know that missions is obviously very big on your heart.、Um, Do you mind just? I actually don't know the story of how how you got introduced to missions and how Japan came about.、Um, I knew Miho had a pretty big <laughs>、um, part part with that, but I love to just hear from your own words. Yeah, growing up, or or even if it was like during college or even after college, like what about missions really captivated your heart? And yeah, I love to hear about that. Yeah. So for me, I grew up in a Christian family, and every year at the church that I grew up at, there'd be a mission week where they'd have all the different missionaries that are home on home assignment, where it's also called furlough, would come and speak about their work in Congo or Sri Lanka or Belgium or wherever it was. And so you're always having this is in the '80s, so it's slide slide carousels with all the different pictures of 
strange foods or people and out, you know, cultural dress and things like that. And it was always interesting. And I, I, I loved the idea of missions. I was so thankful for these people going there and sacrificing, but it never captivated me. Like I couldn't see myself do that. Um, and in high school, um, I had a two, I felt like I was good with math and I loved money. And so I thought, oh, maybe I'll be an investment banker or a CPA or something. And uh, it was when I was 16 that God really got a hold of my heart. And it wasn't so much of like, it's bad to go into business or you shouldn't be a banker. Like I could definitely honor God and follow my calling if that was what he felt felt like he was leading me to do but it was more of the motive there's a verse in Matthew 6 24 that says you can't serve two masters you'll love the one and hate the other you can't serve both God and money and it was really about my motivation was really selfish of I want to have a nice income to have a nice house to have a nice life and I'll still be in church and I'll help and this and this and this but it was really about my comfort and my enjoyment of life and that's where um, God slowly started to change my heart to, hey, I want to not just live for myself, but how can I live for you and make an impact for eternity of doing something with purpose? Um, and so as I got more involved in my youth group, I sensed like the things that used to captivate me of having the nicest clothes or having friends or having all these things, like that was no longer satisfying that you realize how empty it is if I had acquired a nice car and all these things like would I really be satisfied in my life and so um, as I got more involved in the youth group just felt like oh, this is actually where I, I love seeing um, uh, my friends come to faith or people growing in their faith and so I really admired my youth pastor so I applied to uh, Bible College and Moody Bible Institute in Chicago and I applied as a youth ministry major because I really admired my youth passions. They're like, oh, I'd love to do what he does of impacting young people. And for me, God changed my life and my direction in high school so drastically. But like, oh, I'd love to do that of helping, guiding other young people. And then uh, my senior year in high school, I went on two mission trips, one to Mexico and then one to a church plant in Missoula, Montana. And it was at that uh, in Montana that there was a Sunday night service and my youth pastor asked me, hey, would anybody want to give a short devotional or a short message um, at the service? And I'd never preached before. I never had any class and no training, but I felt like, oh, I'd love to teach the Bible. And so um, that Sunday night, I preached from a passage in Hebrews 12, 1 to 3 about running the race and looking at, you know, looking to, to Jesus. Um, and I didn't realize how long it was, but end up preaching for 45 minutes. My throat was dry, my face was red, but I just loved that experience of yeah, encouraging and challenging people and, and teaching the Bible. And so um, while in college, I actually changed to a missions major because I felt like maybe God wants to use me overseas in places where there haven't been many opportunities for people to hear the gospel rather than um, staying in the States and then ended up actually as a pastoral studies major because I loved preaching and leadership and those topics. And somehow God wove those three kind of threads um, 
around me that I had a chance to go on a Reformation tour in college for the summer of seeing Martin Luther's home and John Calvin. And, and so going to Germany and Switzerland and France and England and learning about kind of church history. And while I was in France, I had French for four years in high school, but I was terrible with languages. I was terrible with languages, even with Greek and Bible college that I joke uh, from kindergarten until grad school, the only times I ever had a C was in French and Greek. And so the irony of how God has now allowed me to preach in English, French, and Japanese messages um, is definitely a God thing rather than my inherent ability with linguistics. And so, <laughs> but when I went to France, it was just like, ah, oh, there's something that just burdened my heart for these people were, I mean, similar with Japan and surveys, it could be 70 or 80% people say they're Buddhist, they're Shinto, and France would be they're Catholic, but it'd be, I was baptized as a baby. I have never been to a service. I don't own a Bible, but I'll call myself Catholic, but it doesn't really mean anything. And so um, knowing that there's only about one or 2% evangelical population there just felt like, ah, if I'm gonna try out, if God is calling me to missions, maybe as I was graduating early, maybe I should just at least try to, to serve there for six months or a year and end up my friends challenging me to think about by the time you get there and get settled you'll be almost done in six months so you should try at least two years and so um, i worked with a organization called operation mobilization um, in france working with a french church planter and it was funny that here i am as a missionary working in church planting and helping out with the youth ministry like all those three things wove together into this amazing opportunity and during one of the summers that i was there uh, mio came over on a short-term mission trip for two weeks we met she was back in japan working and this is pre-skype days this is dial-up internet days and somehow we were able to call each other and write emails and uh, just begin a friendship um, and over that next year and a half that I was in France and we never saw each other. So we met for two weeks, didn't see each other for another year and a half, but we're dating whatever that means from two different continents. Um, and then I don't give this advice to other people as a pastoral counseling, but I went over to Japan for a month and I had the ring with me of knowing like, unless something terribly goes wrong, um, I plan to propose to her. And so I uh, was able through her best friend and in interpreting for me, asking her dad for his blessing and fortunately he gave it to me and uh, we got engaged in january got married in japan that july and then moved to seminary here in boston um, in august and at the time when we were getting married it felt like we were planning to go back to europe um, there's an experience that i had where i was working in the city of nantes which is like 500,000 600,000 people and I come from Des Moines, Iowa, which is about 600,000 people. And in Des Moines, there's at least 150 evangelical churches. And there's at least, at that time, seven that were over 1,000 people. And so in Nantes, there was seven evangelical churches, ranging from 12 people to the largest being about 100 people. And it just, God really challenged me. Of I could easily probably get a position, and I'd be doing good ministry and serving people in Iowa, but there's plenty of opportunity if people want to hear the gospel there's no limit of chances that they have to, to hear where there's few that would have that chance here in France and so 
that really stuck with me of, I'm not homesick. I feel like I was able to, to adapt well and learn the language. And so uh, I felt like that was a confirmation of, yeah, maybe God wants to use me in a place where there's great need and where there seems to be a good fit of who I am and our gifts and um, skills. And so when we came to uh, Boston, we were thinking of studying to then go back to France. And all along the way, during our four years that we were here, uh, the church that we were a part of is very multi-ethnic, but highly Asian. So there's a lot of Japanese people or ministries to Japanese people. Uh, there were some international students at the nearby college that we were able to kind of be host families for and do Bible studies with um, uh, this young college student who's from Japan. There's a Japanese church and uh, next to Cambridge. And I was able to preach there a couple of times with me interpreting for me. It just seemed like all these signs were, oh, Japan, Japan, Japan. And so we went to France one uh, Christmas break um, on a vision trip just to see, let's talk with people and kind of hear what are the opportunities we feel like God is closing the door or if this is something we should pursue. And there's so many things where it felt like because I, I was a male and because I knew the language, it's like, oh, you can plant this church or you can train these pastors, you can do this and this and this. And then for me, it was like, and then Mia, you can raise the kids or you can teach Sunday school. And it just felt like, no, we're in this together. Like we're a team serving. I don't want to feel like I'm dragging Mia with me to, to serve in France. And so it just felt like God was closing that door and opening my heart to maybe it's in Japan of, the fact that she knows the culture, she knows the language, she experienced depression in high school that she can speak to and, and identify with the struggles that people have there. And for me as uh, an outsider, that there's opportunities and things that I can try that um, it may give us the best of both worlds of being an insider and an outsider in Japan. And obviously the need, we knew that there was only 1% or less than 1% Christian population. So, um, it was amazing that as we visited and kind of shared our story and talked with people, it just felt like, yes, God is calling us to Japan. And there's a sense of there's the need and opportunity for us to, to think about planting churches and raising up younger leaders. And Mio you know, shared with me that ultimately, like, I've always had a longing of wanting to bring hope to my people but I didn't want it to be where I'm manipulating or kind of forcing you to, to come here against your will. I want it to be the Holy Spirit that guides you and, and gives you that vision rather than, you know, negotiation. And so um, that's been such a helpful thing because obviously ministry in life isn't always easy. And so if it was feeling like I'm only here because Mio wants to be here rather than God has led us here, then there's probably plenty of times where I feel like, oh, let's just give up and let's go back home. Um, but I'm knowing, no, we feel like it's not going to be easy. There's going to be difficult moments or slow growth or whatever happens, but um, we want to be faithful to what God has called us to. And so, yeah, it's been an amazing journey over the last 20 years of discerning, yeah, what, what does God have for us? And so we plan to be there for decades, probably the rest of our lives, or at least the rest of our ministry lives. So. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing. Something that I've been meditating on and pondering about is exactly what you said, is having this 
laser focus for eternity and being undistracted. And that's so much easier said than done. Um, (laughs) I love to just hear from you what helps you stay grounded in that truth, what helps you keep an eternity perspective because there's so many things going on with life. You have a family, you have two kids, you have a wife, you have a full-time job being a pastor and also teaching. What does that look like for you? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, yeah, it's hard. To, I mean, because it's so easy to be caught up in the moment uh, of things, of just the needs and urgent um, tasks and, you know, uh, endless opportunities and, and things to respond to. And so I think um, I think having me in my life has helped ground us and to keep us focused is that knowing yeah, there may be seasons where I'm so stressed with certain things or I'm just focused on, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but a focus on the ministry, especially in those early days of church planting, that all our effort, all our focus is on meeting new people or preparing a sermon. And it can be so focused on the work of ministry that we forget about the God who it is that we're serving or kind of why we're doing this rather than I have a message to prepare and I'm just thinking about upcoming Sunday rather than what does this all mean and how does this fit into um, kind of anything larger than that. And so I think there's times where you just have to slow down and kind of take a step back to get perspective of even if you're doing good things, you can lose sight of why you're doing them or what, um, how it fits into kind of the story of your life and and the, the, the path that God has for you. And so, yeah, I mean, that's where even good things, um, Tim Keller talks about even good things being idols that we make them kind of the ultimate things. And so even caring about our kids studying and learning and doing well and thriving and uh, learning piano or tennis or whatever it may be are all good things. But if we are so absorbed with activities and their development that we lose sight of um anything larger than that it can be even something great like parenting could become an idol of ah i'm all my joy or all my happiness is wrapped up in their um growth or development rather than seeing that in perspective of ah actually um life is more than just our marriage or kids or even ministry but um yeah keeping focused on god even in the midst of all that's happening. So pandemic wise too, that's been definitely a challenge of, it's hard to get perspective of what's happening. How do I even plan next month to next year? Um, and what does this all mean? And so that's yeah, definitely been um, something to try to, to remind ourselves and be grounded in the why of what we're doing or why, why are we there to begin with and um, yeah, not lose sight of that. Yeah, definitely. Something that I've been just really meditating on is just how scandalous God's love is because I feel like I'm in a season where God just is playing on repeat that like he loves me, he loves me, he Mm. loves me. (laughs) And it's, I think his love is just so, yeah, I don't have any other words to describe it other than like, 
just so raw and so scandalous because in my conversation with God, I'm always like, all right, God, like, what do you want me to do for you? Like, what can I, like, where can I serve? Where can I love? And he's just constantly telling me that he loves me. It's not about what I do for him. Yeah. And it's so hard. <laughs> it's so hard to receive that. It's like, what? You, you what? Yeah, definitely. And that's, I think, part of our wiring too, that, that that's something that we need to, to learn and continue, not just that it's something we've mentally understood, but of experiencing again and again, um, that especially as missionaries, pastors and church planners, where there's that entrepreneurial sense that we're starting something and doing and pouring our hearts into, into our work that we want to be successful in a certain sense. There's, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram. That's kind of the sense of what yeah, drives what's your, you. what's your type. And so for me and I were both threes, which is, uh, achievers and kind of success oriented, goal oriented people, which is perfect for entrepreneurs and church planners. It's funny that a lot of pastors are nines, which are peacemakers that really caring for people and, um, balancing, you know, uh, conflict and things like that were for, um, for church planners, we were in, in this training with them. And it's like so many others were similar people was like, I want to start something. I want to create something. I want to do something new. I want to take on, you know, huge projects and goals and, and take mountains and all that kind of stuff. And we've realized there's the positive aspects of each one similar with, you know, twos are being love. Like I care for you. I, I, you know, so hospitable, I'll, I'll, um, you know, do all sorts of things, but a, there's also the negative sides of, of each aspect that it can be, I'm working hard to be loved by people by doing all these things or by caring for people. And so for us as threes, it can be so wrapped up of, am I being appreciated? Am I being respected? Am I being successful? And knowing over and over that, especially going to Japan, our metrics of what a success look like in terms of size of the church or influence or books written or whatever it may be that may be the metrics here in the states for certain pastors like that has to scale way back because otherwise we're just going to be so defeated and discouraged of like comparing what's happening to us to what's happening of and it's funny that there's um a friend who was planting their, their church in colorado around the same time and within a few years, it grew quite large and they were able to have this abandoned Sam's Club of leasing that space and it's like 30,000 square feet to have children's minutes like, man, I would love to have that side. But in Tokyo, there's no way it's hard to even get, you know, a small room to, to use, let alone of having this huge warehouse type space to, to have a church, a young church, too. So, um those things of realizing we might impose ourselves certain benchmarks of things that we want to see happen and grow and, you know, starting this or seeing people come to faith, but of realizing at the end of the day, Sabbath is a beautiful way of saying, you know, my 
productivity is not like my God's love for me is not based on how productive I am or what I've accomplished, but of being able to step back and stop and say, the world continues even if I'm not busy, because otherwise there's no limit to um, the amount of work that we can do. And people obviously will still kind of reward and thank us for going above and beyond and never stopping. So even on our home assignment, there were still connected in certain ways of preaching certain messages from videos. And so if we don't remove ourselves to have time to, to rest and stop, um, yeah, we can burn ourselves out. And so realizing that yeah, God's love is not about what I accomplish, um, goals that I reach that make Jesus love me anymore or um, uh, affirm what I'm doing any any greater. So it's, it's such a hard lesson, especially as threes, to, to be able to, to let that go and to, to stop what we're doing sometimes of taking retreats and taking a break to to remember that rather than just constantly moving on to the next project. We're like, no, it's fine. <laughs> God still loves and cares for us whether or not we're productive or not. So um, yeah, that's something I think I'll lesson I'll continually be learning rather than I've mastered and moved on, but it's something I need to keep coming back to. Yeah, I completely understand. I'm a two wing three, so I do have <laughs> some of that three in me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I definitely feel the need to do things, to accomplish things. And I'm always, I think God's always scaling me back of like, let me just remind you that you're loved. And let me just remind you that you are valuable, irregardless of what you do. And my flesh just have such a hard time with that. And I, I do think it's a lifelong process of learning to hear his voice and learning to yeah to let his love in um mm. yeah because i think i think that's truly how i've been thinking about this like why why is it so hard for me to just know i'm loved like why do i need to feel the need to get love from other places or get value from do 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 and i realized that it's how fallen my human nature is like it's so I think the way I describe it is my heart is so there's so many walls that it's so hard even though God's truth is 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 truth and it doesn't change um yet somehow my heart cannot like it it takes time to really penetrate that and the way I think about it is like marinating a nice like beef brisket or something it takes a while for it to get tender and good yeah definitely definitely and i love to so something else that i've also been thinking about and i love to just like pick your brain on it mm -hmm. is coming me being also like I'm, I'm east asian so i think this is probably a notion all across the east asian countries like china taiwan korea japan um it's a shame-based culture and I think you're probably familiar with what that means of um, there's, yeah, there's a lot of things driven by shame. And in terms of ministry, I, I, and let me think of how to articulate it. I think, I think I'm, I'm trying to discern just in my own heart, like 
what it what does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God but at the same yeah, time I feel yeah. like the enemy also uses my shame based background to kind of twist that of like oh you need to be serving on prayer and also worship and also welcome team and also you know like like <laughs> like 10 different things and no rest and <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I love to just like hear your thoughts on that just from seeing different culture because you, you grew up in the states but you've also mm -hmm. lived in you know east asia yeah. japan um mm -hmm. yeah yeah there's no and that's the the sad so i can speak as a fellow christian and as a pastor because there's an aspect to we love people like you that serve wear all the different hats of hey i'll come early and set things up i'll speak you know i'll interpret for you i'll sing in the worship team like i'll lead a small group like i'll help at the camp like anything you need me i'm here and so there's something so beautiful and valuable about people where that's that 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 attitude of hey i'm here to serve and i want to um to use my time and my talents, all these things for God's glory. And so there's something beautiful about that, especially as of the tension of those who are much more passive of like, I go for what I can get out of it. And I'm there just to be emotionally moved by the music or to be challenged with the message, but then I go and live my life. And, and so there's obviously a spectrum of health and unhealth. Um, but yeah, the danger is that you can make it like it's never enough. And so there's um, uh, moms that I remember at Mio's home church that is something beautiful, but also something sad at the same time of having the baby and the baby Bjorn as they're vacuuming the floors of the, the church. And so coming on like a Tuesday afternoon to help clean the church, like, wow, what a sacrificial heart. But at the same, like you have a newborn baby, like what are you doing here? And so, of it could be a healthy thing, but at the same time it can be, uh, I'm needed and I have to do this. Or there's a sense of being a good Christian means I'm showing up to all these different things. And so of needing to, I think as a pastor, finding that balance of, hey, um, sometimes it's good to be able to, to have boundaries and to say no, not so much of selfishly, I want to enjoy my time and I have my own hobbies and all these things that it could be about, but more of, yeah, is it what's driving me to do all these things? Um, and is that necessary? And so, um, yeah, there's no easy box to say, oh, you should serve two times a week or you should do, you know, two, one ministry or whatever it may be. There's obviously no uh, formula for how to know what's too much and what's too little, but I think definitely that sense of is there um the voices whether it's spoken or, or unspoken that to be loved by god or to be um blessed or whatever it may be i need to be doing more and more and more and um obviously that's not true in the sense of god doesn't need all of our time or all of our money he can you know, work around that, but he wants our hearts. And so, um, yeah, in the midst of that, what's driving that is it, um, uh, 
uh, a sense of earning favor or earning respect or or being accepted or whatever it may be, especially in the shame-based culture um, of yeah, how how to make decisions and um, yeah, that's the, the the tricky thing of even the jobs that we take is this to honor God is this because my parents want me to be a doctor, lawyer, in tech or whatever it may be. Like there's obviously these all these competing motivations that that weigh on us in varying degrees of what we do. Um, so yeah, that's definitely a challenge, particularly amongst in East Asia, um, as you wrestle through the beauties of the culture. And there's definitely beauty to the collective culture and even the shame-based culture in some ways uh, that I've seen even through this pandemic of aspects that I think have been healthier than seeing things from a distance of how life works uh, in America. And so, um, yeah, there's definitely pros and cons to any culture and values. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. And I love to hear for you, like, how do you kind of check in with your motive or check in with your heart or check in with the why? Because it's so easy to um, do things almost just robotically or like without thinking. It's like, of course, I should go to that. Tuesday mm-hmm. prayer meeting or I need to be preparing for for the sermon etc cetera, etc cetera. like yeah yeah what does that look like for you hmm yeah this is a great question and a tricky question because I feel in some ways because we're broken people it's hard to fully and I think that we can understand ourselves to a certain degree but it's hard to fully know the layers of how we've deceived ourselves or um, twisted things of what really is what we think and what actually is in our hearts. And so um, it's hard to really um, fully understand what what's really going on. Um, and so sometimes it is best that we can't quite understand that ourselves, but of having friends or close mentors or people that can know us and asking us those hard questions because we can talk to ourselves of oh yeah of course this is all for for god's glory and making god famous rather than this is about myself but um yeah learning to decipher and so that was even um for like my wife and i doing our doctor of ministry programs like okay is this about having that respect of having that title is this um it's not obviously for some people of having certain degrees it's you know the financial incentive that hey with this i would earn more work for us as missionaries whether i have any degrees or a phd it's all the same salary so that's at least an easy one to to separate out that that's not the driving motive for me to make this choice or to do these things um but there could be that sense of speaking somewhere or meeting with somebody. Is this really about myself or my ego, or is this um, really about God? And that's sometimes hard for us to 
maybe want to acknowledge ourselves, or there's a mixture where it's not necessarily 100% purely God or 100% purely selfish. And that's where having others be able to, to see things or ask us um, can be helpful. I think for, for me too, I, I do have to pause and, and take time in, in prayer as I go jogging just to reflect and think of trying to submit everything to God that hopefully he'll help discern, help me discern of what's really going on. Why is this important? Or if something doesn't happen, what is it about that that um, is really about my own selfish needs? And so, um, yeah, it's uh, definitely a great thought but it's not it's hard to to have a clear process of how do we discern that but um yeah i think we definitely want to be and hopefully in our prayer life with with god that we're able to bring everything our pains our fears all the stuff to him that he can help us sort through what's really going on because yeah we may not be honest with ourselves it's only after wrestling and thinking about or, or having him kind of search our hearts yeah what really is at stake here is this about um impressing my family or other people or is this about you know whatever it may be and so hopefully that um, is helpful yeah it is it's something that i've been thinking a lot about and Mm. i think i tend to lean on the extremes of one being too (laughs) introspective or one just like Mm. not thinking at all it's like oh whatever like i'll just do and i think god is drawing me to find a balance and it's Mm. it's not easy because it's it's different in every situation it's different Mm. in every scenario um and i do take hope in stories like jonah where you know his him going to Nineveh was mm-hmm. such a journey. Um, at the same time, God did use his, I mean, I don't even think it was like pure ob- obedience <laughs> because he, <laughs> he went the other way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And even afterwards, after the success is like still angry about God's gracious love. Like, so he was obedient, but still something was bothering him of, um, yeah, of how God even used his preaching to, to change all these lives that you'd think like, wow, thank you for using me even of how broken and, and um, reluctant I was. And yet the story you know, ends with him yeah, being frustrated of how God worked things out, even as he took a rest underneath the little tree and so. Um, yeah, just the amazing story of God using broken people like him and like us. Um, but yeah. To that, and that gives me hope that God is and continues to use us, which is mm-hmm. which is nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Grant, thank you so much for taking the time today to chat with me. Before no we wrap up the episode. I love to hear what is something, and especially now that you're in Boston and <laughs> taking a six months break, yeah. what is one thing that you absolutely miss about Japan? Like if you had to pick one, what would it be? And it can be food, it can be 
something that you use, or it can be like the train station, the efficiency mm. of the subways. What would that be? Yeah, um, because it's uh, April right now, I am seeing all my friends posting the pictures of the sakura, the cherry blossoms, and seeing the weather of how nice it is where it's getting spring here but there's been definitely cold days and rainy days and so i think just that spring season of how short it is that you realize how fragile life is through this window of the tree just the colors and the beauty um so it's amazing just the pink and the white, um, but then it lasts for a week or 10 days, it rains and it's all washed away. And so um, I think that's such a beautiful image uh, and reflection of yeah, the, the transients of life, but also the beauty that you need to hold on to um, as I think in the pandemic too, of realizing how fragile life is that um, all these things are just little, uh, images that help remind us of yeah god's lessons and god's um yeah design of of our world and so um yeah that's definitely something i miss that yeah all the trees outside my window right now are barren there's no leaves on anything and so like ah i miss that beauty you'll have to live vicariously through your friend's instagram and facebook post <laughs> definitely well, actually, next week is spring break for our girls, and so we'll be going down to see some uh, friends in the Washington, D.C. area. So hopefully there may be some of the cherry blossoms. I don't know if they'll still be lasting until next week, but um, that's the hope that maybe we'll see a small sliver of the American <laughs> uh, aspect of the trees that Japan gave how many decades ago, I guess. Um. Well, Grant, thank you so much for taking the time today to chat with me. Please give the kids and Miho my love. It's always so good to connect with you guys. And I look forward to when we actually get to connect in person sometime this summer. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully. And then hopefully later this year, tourism opens back up that you'll be able to visit us in person in Japan. Yes. And we can get those really yummy souffle pancakes again. Uh, <laughs> that was so good. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. All right. Thank you, Grant. Thank you, Evangeline. Bye. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, please give a five star on Apple Podcast. And if you would like to be featured on the show, email carepackagetojapan at gmail.com. And I love to chat with you as well. Until next time. Also, please consider giving the show a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps other people find the show as well.